You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Ebema, and my guest today is Jean Keegan Daly. She's the author of Reflections of a Seasoned Soul. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, We're glad you could make it. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a suburb of Trenton, New Jersey called Hamilton Township, which is sort of in the central part of New Jersey. I was born in 1946, and um, I was the oldest of six children. By the time I was 10 and a half years old, I had four younger brothers already. When I was 15, my sister was born. And so I was always to set the example and, you know, really lead the children. I was um, very helpful to my mother in taking care of the children. I really appreciated that. And um, my father was a police officer, well-known in the community. And we lived five houses away from the Catholic church and school that I attended. It feels like you are raised in Africa. <laughs> it's almost like that. The older child always has to take care of the younger ones. Children yeah. don't have a voice. And all yeah. those things just reminded me of rural life in Africa. Yeah. So how did you break through and, and, and be heard? Well, I, you know, I became um, a student nurse at age 17. I got very good grades in school. And um, I had written a letter to the director of the, of the nursing school and just poured out my heart about why I wanted to be a nurse. I had known since the age of five, I wanted to help people. That would be my life work. And so um, actually I failed the entrance exam because I'm so nervous. <laughs> my mind is so blank. And um, the nun who was the director of the nursing school said um, I would be accepted because my grades in high school were so good. And because of my letter that I was very passionate about nursing and helping others. So um, once I once I was admitted to the nursing school, which was the only one that I uh, applied to, I became first in my class. So <laughs> it's just <laughs> I was I belong there. And my experience as as a student and then as a young nurse um, really was the impetus that led me to questioning the questions that I really had in my childhood. You know, um, why did people suffer when I was a young nurse, a 12-year-old girl who had just been admitted to the pediatric department? I started as a pediatric nurse. Mm. We didn't know what was wrong with her. She had difficulty breathing. And one day, um, I guess it was the third day of her hospitalization, I went to offer her a little water and I held, cradled her head in my arms and she died right there in my arms. Hmm. And I was just taken aback. I, I, I just could not understand this. She was diagnosed on autopsy with lung cancer. And my grandfather had just died of lung cancer you're a young nurse and somebody dies uh, in your arms. How did you process that? Oh, my goodness. I was just a mess. <laughs> yeah. You know how to process it. Did you so, take uh, off work after that? Yes, or? I, I took off four days. Um, I had two days coming and then I just took off the other two days. 
And I just kept asking questions in my mind of God, of spirit. Um, I, I just needed to understand. And as I grew a little older, I started meeting other people that had the same kind of questions. Um, this child who died mm. in my arms um, was an adopted child, an only child of immigrant parents. They were from Italy, I believe. And they I didn't know how to help them mm. either. They fell to the floor. So I knew then and there that um, there had to be a place for me where I could understand some of the, the reasons. I could at least expand my mind and, yeah. and learning. So um, a few years later, I met a, a doctor who was a chiropractor who my father had gone to. My father had been injured in his police work. And I had injured my back transferring a paralyzed patient um, to the point where I wasn't able to do nursing for a while. Mm. I was told I had to have surgery, a spinal surgery. I didn't want that. I knew there was another way. So I went to this chiropractor who I didn't even believe in at the time. <laughs> and he had helped my father. <clears throat> and as soon as he saw me, he said to me, you're a healer. And I was quite indignant. I said, I'm a nurse and I'm here for <laughs> And he said, yes, I will help you. And um, I said, because I don't want surgery and I don't want to leave nursing. I love this profession, even though I'm, I'm just really upset right now with everything that's happened mm. to me. And so he invited me to his meditation group. Didn't mm. even know what that was at the time. I learned a lot. And I met people who, you know, were, were questioning the same things I was questioning about life, about death, about um, just, you know, what was our purpose in this world and how to help people who were dying. So it looks like from a young age, you just had this existential uh, questioning. You know, you needed to know your purpose from a young age and why you're here. You know, it's like you knew you, you were here for a special reason and you wanted to figure it much sooner. Yes, so it looks yes. like that, uh, that meditation group actually provided a, a, you know, a transformative experience for you, did it? It did. It really did. I really learned that there's so much more to God and the universe and our purpose in life than I had ever known before. And I felt that I was able to then... Um, find answers within me, within that soul, that spirit part of me. So how did your spirituality and your nursing practice, how did that end up in hospice? I felt that um, hospice was a place that really would help me to know more about helping people go to their divine home mm. more peacefully. I had seen people suffer and struggle so much in the hospital nursing that I did. And um, even with my own dear grandfather who had died, you know, just the struggling, I just felt that I, want, I wanted to learn how to make a difference. Mm. So I, there were no hospices in New Jersey that I was aware of, but there was one in Pennsylvania. So I actually moved to Pennsylvania. And once again, you know, this was divine guidance. I am one of the requirements that this hospice <laughs> service 
required of nurses. And uh, again, I wrote a letter from my heart and I was accepted. And <laughs> I just knew that's where I belonged. And at that time, that was in the 80s. Right so, at the beginning of hospice. Yes. In 1980s, there were no hospice facilities. We went into people's homes. Yeah. So I, I just felt that was such a blessing in my life. I learned how to really be with people holistically in a way that I wasn't allowed to do in the hospital. Mm. You know, and to be with their families and to, there are three stories in my book, my most memorable hospice patients um, of how they were, I could see the transformation. I was part of the transformation that they had between their last um, times of living and into their death experience. Could you share some of that? Yes, Diane was a little girl, nine years old, and she lived with her mother and her little brother who was only four years old. And Diane had been diagnosed with brain tumor and given a very short time to live. My time with Diane was so enriched by the fact that this child was, she herself was like an angel on earth. She was very wise. And I had found that with children. I, I was really assigned all the children in hospice because I had had pediatric experience. Mm. And Diane, um, she had such wisdom. She knew she was dying. And we talked a lot about that. We talked together about, um, you know, what she felt uh, as her dying process. And she um, had said to me one time, she was worried about her mother, that her mother, her grandmother, her mother's mother was going to die. And Diane said, the doctors tell me that it's not going to be long now that I die, but you know what? I talked to God. She was calling Miss Jean. I talked to God, Miss Jean, and I told him, I really don't think my mom can have my, my death and her mother's death around the same time. Hmm. So God told me that's okay, that I can wait. And so she, <laughs> Diane was admitted to the hospital and the doctors were sure it was, she would not come home. Hmm. And she did come home and she came home on Christmas Eve. This still gets me picked up. Wow. Came home on Christmas Eve and her family was very poor. So we have, you know, just divine intervention again. I, in my office as a hospice nurse, I got a phone call from a, um, right before Christmas, from a college. And these young college students were saying, um, oh, we heard that um, you might have uh, somebody to donate a Christmas tree to. We're all going home for Christmas and we have this Christmas tree. It's all decorated. Do you know anyone? Well, did I? So, <laughs> So I had a friend who had a trucking business. They picked up the, the um, Christmas tree. We, I got a key to Diane's apartment as a surprise. Her mother didn't even know this because her mother was down in, in Philadelphia Hospital mm. with water. And we decorated the whole apartment. Wow. So when the EMTs carried Diane up the steps to the apartment, everything was lit up by Christmas music playing. It was just wonderful. <laughs> She just, um, uh, she had given me a gift. It was, I have the, the longer story in the book, of course, but her gift was a, was a candle that was also a lamp. 
Mm. And she said to me that she, I reminded her of being her light in the storm. Mm. Now, she ended up being a light in my storm. I knew that I would be there. Her grandmother had died. She helped her mother through that. As weak as Diane was, she was able to help her mother through. And Diane and I talked a lot about, and I talked to her mother as well, um, that, you know, this little girl had made her nine years of life here so powerful and so enriching to everyone around her. And that when she did die, she would be an angel that would still help people. So I became very, very ill right around the time it was in February. And I was admitted to the hospital as an emergency. Mm-hmm. I was not there for Diane's dying moment. And I was very, very upset about that. However, I was in the anti needed surgery. <clears throat> the doctors thought I had cancer. Mm-hmm. And I was in the anti room. I had not been medicated yet. So I was fully awake. And I was very scared and I was very upset. I couldn't be with Diane. She had died the day before. Mm. All of a sudden, there was this light. It just started glowing up the room. I thought someone had, you know, opened the curtains and the sun came in. Mm. There was Diane. I literally saw her face. I literally saw her face. And she said to me, don't worry, Miss Jean. You'll be fine. I'm right here with you. Wow. It really fills me. So when I was coming out of surgery, I didn't see Diane again. In the recovery room, I heard her voice. The doctors told me they found no cancer. I would recover. And Diane said, her voice said to me, and it was her voice. See, Miss Jean, I told you, you would be fine. And so am I. And I love you, Miss Jean. What a beautiful story. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. Continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life, Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Bem, and we continue our conversation with Jean Keegan Daly, the author of Reflections of a Seasoned Soul. And just before the break, you know, you shared your amazing story, uh, the relationship. It's, it's just amazing that as a caregiver, you fully pour yourself into the life of your patients and you provide this holistic level of care that focuses extremely on the patient. And in your book, you also have through this uh, transformation, you know, what is that story about? Oh, <clears throat> Trudy was my very first hospice patient. She was um, a very angry woman. When I went in to introduce myself, she literally threw me out of the house and said, <laughs> I don't need a nurse. I don't need anybody. I'm just here to die. And I could see that she was so distressed. In order to really have a patient open up to you, you really need to allow them to trust you, to help them to trust you, and to really pace yourself along with the patient's readiness. So um, eventually, after about four times, I was able to do that. What did you do? What did you do to make Trudy trust you, I think? I told Trudy that I was there to listen to her. 
to listen to how she was feeling. And I felt that was the most important thing. I didn't go in as, you know, the clinical nurse. So I'm going to give you medication. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I just said, you know, Trudy, I, I just would love to listen to your story. I can see that you're very upset. And she, so I just pulled up a chair and sat down next to her. I didn't talk about clinical nursing for her at all at the time. And um, she was get, being get medicated by her daughters who were there and so on. Well, her story was that a year earlier, before she was diagnosed with lung cancer, her husband died. And six months later, her 31-year-old son died, both of them with cancer, rapid-growing cancer. She was very angry that this had happened. And as she poured out her story to me little by little, I gained her trust because I listened. I, I just felt that listening respectfully and intently, I could hear that underneath her anger was a lot of fear and a lot of hurt and some guilt that she was still here, that she had was willing herself to die because she just didn't want to bear the pain anymore of her loss. And little by little by little, she started to trust that I could really help her to relax. And as we went through the weeks and weeks, I was with her for four months, um, she was talking more and more about her fears and her anxieties. And one day, this was just the miracle part. <laughs> one day, Trudy was, I could see she was close to death and she was much more prepared for it. We had talked about it and what she imagined and what I, my experiences had been. Um, and I think it's important for you know any caregiver to never impose their beliefs on anyone else, mm. but to just allow them to um, let you know where they are with their beliefs. And she actually wanted help with you know other people's experiences. So um, at the time, I had not had my own near-death experience yet, but I had been with patients who were dying. Mm. She was my first real hospice in-home patient. So she was in what looked like to me like just a reverie. Her face was, she was not present in the room um, on another level. She was um, smiling. She was not, if someone would think she was sleeping, but I knew she was having an experience. And the doorbell rang. So I went to the door and it was the postman and her, she had a little dog and the dog was barking. I picked up the dog quickly. I came back to Trudy and she fluttered her eyes open and looked at me and she said, oh, Jeannie, you came with me. Isn't this beautiful? It must be heaven. It is so. And she started describing the colors and, the, and just the beauty and the love. And she said, I'm so glad you came with me. And she was saying, look at this and look at that. And she said, but I can't see my husband. Do you see my husband? <clears throat> and then she said, oh, but you wouldn't know what he looks like. I just want to see him. And then she kind of came out of it and she said, oh, it's fading now. And she came out of this reverie. And I told her that I said, Trudy, I believe that you had 
you know, an experience that is showing you what will happen. But right now you're still here. It's not your time yet, but soon it will be. Hmm. And the next day I went in and she said to me, oh, Jean, I had a dream. And I heard my husband's voice and he said he was coming for me at four o'clock on Thursday. So I changed my schedule so I could be there at four o'clock on Thursday afternoon yeah. and get call. In the middle of the night, Wednesday night, I got a phone call at 10 after four from the night nurse or night, night caregiver. And she said, I just wanted to tell you that Trudy died at 4 a.m. Mm. It hadn't occurred to me that it could be 4 a.m. Oh, you were expecting 4 p.m. Yes, yes. So I just, I just felt, and the nurse said, or the caregiver said, she um, really died peacefully. So I couldn't sleep again. I went downstairs and I lived in a place that was overlooking a river and the sun was coming up. And as the sun was coming up, I was just praying, you know, and being grateful that she had a peaceful death. And all of a sudden, I saw her. She mm. appeared. Uh, it was away from the sunrise. It was in another part of the room, but her she was glowing. She didn't speak. She just was glowing and smiling. Mm. And I, I knew she was just with her husband and her son and at peace. So she came back to make you at peace. Yes, she did. She came back to me to show me that, you know, everything was fine. And um, she just was glowing. And, you know, people that I've seen that have died um, have this ethereal look that is the most beautiful, most peaceful, happy look. With that, we'll take a little break and we'll be right back. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI Helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. I'm Sole Bem, and we continue our conversation with Jean Keegan Daly. Um, in your book, you also speak about uh, having a near-death experience. What happened? Well, <laughs> I was having a private practice at the time. I was holding two meditation groups in my home every week. I was teaching uh, in hospitals and teaching in um, community colleges and very, very busy. And I started becoming ill didn't know, you know, I just thought it was stress that I was doing too much. But I landed up in the hospital very, very sick. Um, it was a combination of a viral infection of that in affected my liver. I was very ill <clears throat> and I was hospitalized for 16 days. At that time, you know, I was very distressed about having left all of my clients that thriving private practice. I was leaving my students. I just didn't know what was going to happen to me. So I was kind of depressed. And um, one day just looking out the window and saying, 
you know, I, I just, I just want to know, God, how am I going to get well enough to get back to doing my work? <clears throat> and suddenly I started feeling very, very much weaker, weaker and kind of having problems breathing. And as that was happening, I was trying to reach for the belt, the call bell for the nurse, and I couldn't move. And then I felt myself lifting up off the bed. And as I was also noticing, my body was still in the bed, still looking out the window. It was incredible. I, I really didn't know what was happening. And the next, within the next split second, I was in a hallway of light. I was upright. And the, my body was still in the bed, but I was now in this place, this hallway of light. <clears throat> I was gliding along and it looked like a huge ballroom. The ballroom was huge on both sides and it was filled with light and filled with people. People that were translucent, people that I recognized and tall angelic beings. Um, they were all smiling. They were reaching out to me and nodding and, and smiling. And just, I felt this outpouring of intense love, intense peace. And my body was so light. I, I, I just, I wasn't moving myself. I was, it was like I was being moved for so long. And there was my grandmother, my grandmother who had died the previous April. And my, she was holding my infant nephew who had died at eight months old. The, also the previous April, they died three weeks apart. Hmm. And then I saw the little girl who died in my arms when I was a young, young nurse. She was there. And I hmm. saw Diane. She was going like this, just crossing her hands over her, her heart and just blowing kisses. I get chills talking about it now all these years later because this happened in 1988. Hmm. And Above, uh, in front of me, <clears throat> I was going toward this light that was like um, enfolding me. It was just like bringing, I was going toward it ever so gently, rapidly, and yet in slow motion at the same time, hard to explain. Mm -hmm. It was just extraordinary. And it was pulling me in and pulling me in to it. And there were patients, there were, in, in the book, I, I, talk about one patient I had had in the hospital when I was a student nurse and the story then and here she was she was showing me this little hanky that she had embroidered for me that I wasn't allowed to accept as a nurse everyone was I could see their I could see their faces but their bodies were like bodies of light but I knew who they were and the love was just incredible so I was almost being enfolded in this Blenderous, brilliant light. When suddenly I heard a voice that was very strong, very kind, very loving, very firm, saying to me, Not now, Jean, go back. And all of a sudden, I was being whisked back along this hallway of light, and everything was fading. And I I was so confused. I didn't know what was going on. I came down, 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 and I there I was back in my body again with all the pain and all the 
the distress, and yet I had just had this profound experience. And there was a nurse at my bedside, and I remember her saying, are you in pain? Are, are you with me? I couldn't even answer. I, I thought I had died, and yet here I was and listening to this nurse. And I was very afraid to tell anyone. I just felt no one would believe me. I didn't tell this story until I wrote my book to anyone. My whole life changed after that experience in that I did recover. I did, I became strong again. I did have, you know, even did more work, but um, less intensely. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think the divine was trying to teach you uh, with that near death experience? It helped me even be able to, um, even though I didn't share this story, I knew for absolutely, I would never be afraid to die. And I was able to help people understand, even though I didn't explain the experience that um, I had had, and I, I I was afraid to tell them because of my, experience. I didn't want to scare my hospice patients at the time. Um, But I did tell them that I had a spiritually transformative experience where I felt that I was, was, I had been very, very ill. And I felt that I was um, recovering from that illness. Oh, I was very close to death, but I was recovering from that illness because I had um, a lot more to do here in life and that very very peaceful and that i did believe that there were um there was this beautiful presence whatever they call this presence god or spirit or universe or allah or whomever they call this experience this this presence that this presence is loving it is embracing and all we need to do is ask for help. All we need to do is trust that we are not here alone. We are connected. We are connected to the presence that breathes us. So how has the love of that presence affected your practice? My gosh. (laughs) I just feel guided every single thing I do. You know, it has made me um, trust that no matter what is going on in the world, and as we all know, a lot of chaos now in the world and a lot of pain and agony, what I feel I can do is project love out to anyone and everyone. Uh, Just the love of the divine through me out to others and to help to ease, you know, in some way, their pain, their suffering, um, and that I feel if enough of us do that, enough of us people who are aware of spirit, if we can just project out, sometimes I see the, a vision of the entire globe of earth and I see that just embraced in love, and peacefulness and goodness, that if we build enough of that, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it's helping people somehow, somewhere, just not to look for the result. Just mm. give, 
you freely. Yeah. And I bring that to each of my clients. I still have a part-time private practice. I still teach. Um, and I feel, I feel happy knowing mm. that this life ends for me. My journey here will be completed for this time. Yeah. And I will go on and be able to help other people from that next dimension, that next heavenly place. Yeah. It just fills me with such joy. What are your final thoughts? So my final thoughts are that we are all here for a purpose, a higher purpose, and that we need to remember we are spiritual beings having this human physical experience, which we will leave, and as I believe, go back to our divine home. So the purposes that we are here for now are to be experienced and to remember during our experiences, no matter what they are, we are loved. We are loved. We are connected. Our mission, besides what we're doing as jobs or family care, our mission is to express the love of God, of the divine, through ourselves to all others, because love is the true healer. And to not get bogged down in fear, but to know that what, wherever we see fear or anger or hatred or bias or judgment, that place needs love. So come from our place of love and share it. How can our listeners get a hold of you and a hold of your book? My book, because it's self-published, is not in bookstores, but it is online on Amazon.com. For anybody who might live in central New Jersey, I have some books in my home. I could autograph for you. <laughs> um, my my uh, email address, and I'd be happy to speak with anyone, is J Life Spirit L I F E Spirit at Comcast.net. I also am on LinkedIn. I am on Facebook. And um, I my book is Reflections of a Seasoned Soul. It has um, it has just gained so much wonderful comment and attention. Um, it's been helpful to people. Um, I've had just wonderful comments from it. And um, I just encourage anyone who would be interested in the rest of my stories and the um, other messages that I have for people that are loving and kind um, to read my book and to comment. And if you email me, which I hope you do, just please put in the subject, heard you on the hospice show. <laughs> So I know that you, you really want to connect. I so appreciate this time. I really, truly do. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Jean Keegan Daly. She's the author of Reflections of a Seasoned Soul. Thank you for listening. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. 
You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.